Our God and our Father, we are now turning to your word as your blood-bought people. Father, I pray you would help us to understand it correctly right now. We pray that your spirit would bring understanding to our minds and open our hearts. We pray that you would bring the gospel into the dark corners of our understanding. And if our thinking needs to be corrected today, Lord, I pray that it would be. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, turn to Job chapter 3. Job chapter 3. And we're going to read the whole chapter, so go ahead and stay in your seats. I don't want your legs giving out on you halfway through. So Job chapter 3, and go ahead and start in verse 1 here. <clears throat> After all this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night... May darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the month. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. May those who curse it curse, may, may those who curse it who curse the day, those who are ready to arouse Leviathan. May the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for light, but have none, and not see the dawning of the day because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide sorrow from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breasts that I should nurse? For now, I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earths who built ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter of soul, who long for death, but it does not come, and search for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes before I eat and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded the the most has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. 
I have no rest, for trouble comes. Puts you in a good mood, doesn't it? It's a pretty dark section of scripture. Some of you are probably thinking, that's definitely not a happy read. And I'll just tell you right now, it's not really going to be a happy sermon either. If you're looking for um, me to talk to you about your best life now or the power of yes today, I hate to disappoint, but that's not what I'm here for. There's really only a couple places in Scripture that are as dark as this particular passage. It, actually, in some translations, um, in Psalm 88, the psalm ends with the phrase, Darkness is my only friend. That works great for a Simon and Garfunkel song, but it doesn't really seem to be something that matches Scripture that well. And hopefully, most of you have never been to the place in life where you've thought that darkness is your only friend. Most of you have hopefully only seen that place from a long ways out. You've probably seen the thunderclouds forming on the horizon. You've probably heard the thunder. But I doubt a lot of us have gotten to the place where we were, like Job, cursing the day that we were born. And if you have not been to that place, then the application for you today is, thank God that you have not gotten to that place. But I know that there are those of you who have been there. I know that there are those of you who are there right now. And you've maybe either in private or in public have started thinking things that you never thought that you would think. Maybe even saying things that you never thought you would say. Maybe you find yourself kind of like Job in a spot of venting because you never thought that living for Christ would be like the way that it is. I mean, you didn't sign up for this. You did not know that it was going to be like this when you put your trust into Christ. There have been other people that have been in that spot where Job has been. The reformer Martin Luther, he was frequently in a spot where he would say incredibly dark things to himself. There was one time in uh, Charles Spurgeon's church, which held about um, 10,000 people. Somebody during the sermon one time just shouted the word fire. And there was no fire but there was a panic, and people trampled each other to death. Uh, I think there was close to hundreds of people that died in that church that day. After that, Spurgeon fell into a, uh, a pit of darkness. He had stopped preaching for several months. Moses himself said some pretty dark things. There was a point in 1 Kings 19 when Elijah, the prophet, asked God to take his life away. And then in Jeremiah 20, the prophet Jeremiah would quote this chapter of Job almost from memory. It was the morning after he had spent the night in stocks, and then Jeremiah went home and he had thought about this chapter and 
recited it pretty much. Maybe you all are kind of like me and are in a spot wondering why this chapter isn't here at all. Because if you think about it, if you yourself were able to put the Bible together, odds are that it wouldn't really come to your mind to put a chapter like this in there. And, you know, maybe some of you, I know I would be kind of embarrassed to admit that. Um, because initially, you probably... We got another one? All right. That's, that's the big guy cutting me off. I'm going the wrong way, apparently. so far. All right. Oh, there we go. There it is. Uh, that was actually staged as filler time because I didn't have enough material. point here is that we need to listen to the things that Job is saying. This here is a curse that is followed by him lamenting. Uh, The first 10 verses of the chapter are a curse, and then the rest, Job is lamenting his condition. Basically, Job right here is venting, right? Now, don't show your hands, but who's ever vented before, right? I know that I've been in that spot myself here. You're just in the middle of an awful situation or circumstance, and you didn't know what to do, so you just started venting. And I know that 
at the end of his chapter, I was really hoping Job would say something like he had said at the end of Job chapter one, when he had said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? We so desperately want to hear the Job that said in response to his wife to curse God and die, the Job that said, shall we accept good at the hands of God and not evil? That's not what we see here. Uh, First of all, we need to understand the background going on here. Because how can Job save things that he was saying in the first two chapters while everything was being taken away from him and then turn around and say things like he does here in chapter three? What happened? What changed? A couple things to note. First, time has definitely passed in between now and chapter two. Job's friends came and maybe they were there for a week. I don't know how long, but they didn't say anything, which may have been the best thing that they could have done at the time. Uh, Then in the first verse of this chapter, we see the phrase after this, after them waiting. And it doesn't really tell us how long that Job's friends were waiting before they said anything. Uh, I've learned that there's kind of a, a rule of thumb when it comes to comforting those who are bereaved, comforting those who are, who have recently lost loved ones. And I'm not sure I agree with this rule, but I was told the rule of thumb is that you wait at least six weeks before you call text or write somebody who had just lost a loved one before you come and talk to them. I mean, I don't know. Six weeks is a long time. And even a week by itself, it's probably feels like an eternity when you're facing that kind of pain. <clears throat> and, you know, all of this was happening to Job, and I'm sure that there were times when he thought that what had happened to him, him losing his family, his possessions, everything he had, his health, I'm sure there were times when he thought that maybe this is all just a dream. I'm sure there are times that he thought this is all just a nightmare that we're going to wake up from any minute now. Because that's something that I know that I usually do in a moment of darkness. I'll tell myself, no, this can't be real. This is all just a dream. But it wasn't a dream. He has to face the fact that he lost all of his kids. Things are beginning to probably sink in his brain. The loneliness is sinking in his mind and he has to accept the fact that life is never going to be the same. And his friends didn't say anything, which may have been a blessing, but it could also be an act of judgment. They may have had nothing to say. And yeah, we can definitely walk away and say that sometimes the best thing you can do for somebody who is bereaved is to just empathize with them, to just be with them. And that's true. But I'm wondering if Job's friends didn't say anything because they had nothing good to say to him. I'm sure at this point, the words that Job's wife told him were ringing in his head, curse God and die. His body is breaking down. He's sick beyond call comprehension. And maybe he really was thinking about cursing God and just dying. Maybe he's just thinking about the silence that he's hearing. He's wondering where God is in all of this. 
He's not getting any words from God. He's not getting any revelation. He's not getting any prophecies. He's not getting anything. We need to understand that background. We also need to understand that there are certain feelings and thoughts that Job is now saying out loud that are shocking. I mean, in verse one, he curses the day that he was born. He wants the day that he was born, the day that his parents celebrated the birth of their son, he wants that to be erased from history. He doesn't want any more birthdays. He wants it to be done. And then he talks about the Leviathan, which in the context here seems to be a symbol for chaos and disorder. In the ancient Near East, uh, the Leviathan was the god of chaos. And maybe Job is borrowing from that. Now, should he have done that? Probably not, but he's venting right now. And then he turns into a full-blown stage of lamenting. I mean, there are psalms that are just full of lamenting all the way through, but not even they are as dark as the things that Job says here. I mean, he wishes he had never been born. Have you ever thought that before? Job is having a crisis of faith in his mind. He's having a battle of faith with who he thinks God is, what God is like. He's thinking, why didn't I just die at birth? Why is there light given to someone who's just going to see misery? What is the point of this existence? What is the point to life? I mean, he wants death. He doesn't ever commit suicide. But can a Christian commit suicide? I would say yes. I would say yes, that they can, that there are believers that get to a spot where they just can't hold on. It's really the Roman Catholic theology that teaches that before you can tell somebody they have eternal life, you have to give them an act of what's called last rites, which would not be possible in the case of suicide, which makes suicide what you call a mortal sin in Roman Catholic theology. But that is not our theology. Can a Christian commit suicide? I would say yes. But that's not what we have here. Job never goes that far. What he has right now is a pain that is so deep that he cannot see how he can go on. He also can't see what point there is in even trying to go on. He's talking about bitterness, misery, sighing, and growing. His worst nightmares have seemed to come to life. He says he's not at ease. He's not quiet. He has no rest, but trouble comes. Sometimes I'm cynical, but this is not your average everyday cynicism. This is what you maybe call advanced cynicism. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called A Grief Observed. And in this book, he describes the death of his wife. And after he describes his wife's death, he goes on to say, we were promised sufferings. They were part of the program. We were even told, blessed are those that mourn, and I accept it. I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it is different when it happens to oneself, not to others, and in reality, not in imagination. Not that I am in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is coming to believe such dreadful things about him. And that's the spot that Job is at right now. 
Job isn't tempted or considering becoming an atheist. He's tempted to believe the same thing that Lewis was tempted to believe. Lewis goes on to say, the conclusion I dread is that there is no God. Sorry. The conclusion I dread is not that there is no God after all, but this. So this is what God is really like. Deceive yourself no longer. Uh, There's a common saying that goes around that goes like this. It goes, uh, maybe you've heard it. I'm not afraid of God because I know he is good. You ever been to a dentist before? Does not matter if you put your arms on the chair armrests or your hands in your lap. Doesn't matter if you're relaxed or not. The drill drills on. And that's the issue right here. Job is being tempted to think that God is fickle. He's being tempted to think that he's just a puppet in the game of providence. Or maybe he's even being tempted to think that there's what you would call a mean streak in God. And that's shocking to think about, isn't it, to some of us? I mean, some of you all may still be pretty young Christians. I'm still relatively young myself. And some of you may be going through a kind of a honeymoon phase with your faith. I mean, you, you love Christ, you love the gospel, you feel the spirit every day, and you just can't ever wrap your mind around how can somebody, a Christian, think the way Job is thinking right now? And some of you are probably right now right where Job is at. You've thought the things that Job is thinking right now. You've begun to maybe doubt God's character. You've begun to maybe rethink that God is actually like as you think he is as you're going through trials and difficulties. So what do you do when you come to a chapter like Job 3? Um, There are really four things that I want to suggest. First, we have to understand that this chapter is a chapter from the word of God. This chapter is inspired by God. Like 2 Timothy 3 talks about, this chapter is profitable for our instruction, for training, correction, reproof. It is given to equip us for every good work. Scripture is not just limited to the good Psalms or the red letters of Jesus in the Gospels, right? This dark chapter, it's a chapter of the Holy Bible. That means it has a message for us. That means it's got something to teach us. It means it has something it's warning us about. It means it has something that will hopefully help us. And second, what we also need to understand is that this chapter tells us that we have to be sensitive about what believers can and will experience. We need to be sensitive to trials of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So I don't know if you know if it's about me or not. Um, I hate flying. I know the statistics. I know I'm much more likely to die by driving on the freeway than by crashing in an airplane. You can tell me that until the cows come home. Doesn't help. I'm still finicky on flying. I'm the one guy that will be awake on the red-eye flight. I'm just standing up straight, cannot relax for the life of me. And I pretty much remember every flight that I ever took. Um, I remember when the flight attendant every time comes up and does a procedure. I remember pretending to listen. Uh, 
I remember her saying something like about a vest and like a whistle under the chair. When I hear that, all I think of is we are on this side of science, this technology, we have the ability to contact and have almost face-to-face interaction with people across the globe. And what do we have to protect us when this plane hits the water? We got a vest and a whistle. I don't know. I mean, like, I have a hard time thinking if I'm dropping 35,000 feet in the air at 500 miles per hour, that life vest does not, it's not the thing I think of first to protect myself, really. You know, I've actually never even checked to see that vest is even under my seat. It's just kind of, I just kind of have a blind faith, like, oh, I'm sure it's there, you know. I'm glad it's there, and I hope I'll never need it, but, you know. I'm sure it's there. And it kind of, that's the, in a way, the way I almost think about Job chapter three. Like, I really hope I never had to be in a spot where I need to read Job chapter three. I don't think I've ever been where Job is at in this chapter. I've never been in that darkness. I've seen the dark clouds on the horizon before, but man, I can never say that I've actually genuinely wished that I had never been born. I've never prayed that my existence would be erased from history, but I'm sure. And I know some of you have thought that before. Some of you have been there and you know, you can be assured that you're far from the only person ever to have been in that spot. There have been other incredibly strong, dedicated, righteous, committed believers that have been the spot that Job is into. Another important lesson. Uh, it's worth noting that God does not immediately come into the situation and say, Hey, Job, knock it off. Get over yourself, Job. He doesn't rush in. He doesn't condemn Job. God is not even going to speak until chapter 38. That's a lot of chapters from now. Now, should Job have said the things that he said? No, I don't think he should have. But my goodness, how patient God is with Job. I mean, when we talk about Job, we talk about Job's patience a lot. But Job's patience does not even compare to how patient God is throughout this book. That's the real highlight of the story. You know, I remember reading about this uh, young lady named Joni. Um, she is, speaks to different panels, um, different like reform panels with Ligonier Ministries across the country once in a while. Uh, this young lady named Joni, she went cliff diving when she was 19 years old. But unfortunately, she went cliff diving in shallow water without knowing it was shallow. And she became uh, a quadriplegic after that which means that she had paralysis in all four of her limbs. But that didn't stop her from living life. She still speaks at different conferences to talk about her experiences. And I remember reading about this interview she had with somebody and she was talking about what happened to her. And she said this, for some odd reason, however, it comforted me to realize that God did not condemn me for prying him with questions. 
I didn't have to worry about insulting God for my outburst of fear and pain. My despair wasn't going to shock him. According to the book of Job, God's never threatened by our questions. So did I find answers for the deepest, darkest questions about life in paralysis? Just one. And it's enough. Oh, the depths and riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. <clears throat> That's Romans 11.33. Maybe we should make it a lesson to not be too quick with judgments and condemnations when a believing friend of ours is trying to figure out how they're going to go on when they find themselves in, in extremely dark places. The last thing I want to bring out in this teaching <clears throat> is actually found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Actually, if we could all turn there, it's a verse that I'll never forget. <clears throat> Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 15. <clears throat> And says this, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but who was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, I just love this verse so much, I'm going to read it again. Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So what does Jesus have to say about this type of darkness that people find themselves in? What does Jesus have to say about the darkness Job is in, in Job chapter 3? Christ knows what it is to be in a dark place. <clears throat> Christ was in a spot where he came before his father before his crucifixion and said, Father, I don't want to be in this place. Is there any other way that we can do this? Christ himself has experienced what it's like to be in a spot where there seems to be no signs of God's presence, no signs of God's love, no signs of his assurance. And eventually he comes to a point where he screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's incredible and something I think that I know I take for granted too much to realize that we have a savior who can relate to us in everything. He's not like us in that he never sinned, but he can relate to any situation that we've been in because we have a savior who knows what it's like to be in the spot where it seems like God wasn't there. Could we ask for a better savior? This is not some distant, disconnected, ancient deity. Our high priest 
knows what it's like to be us. And yet is the only person who has the solution for what it is to be us. Has anybody here ever done like a type of tour in a cave before? A couple. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've heard a lot of them are kind of the same because they have this thing they do when they give you a tour in a cave. They have this, this thing where you go deep into the heart of it. You take a little train to the heart of it. They have everybody kind of huddle up together. You're sitting on the rock that's been God knows where. I mean, like, I don't know. It, it has to be a claustrophobe and a germaphobe's nightmare to be in a cave. But you go in the spot and you sit down. And what do they tell you to do? They tell you, put your hand in front of your face. And what do they do next? Turn the lights off. And then what happens? Blindness. You cannot see anything. Forget my hand. I feel like I'm suffocating in darkness right now. Like, I can't. Like, I don't know. I thought, like, this is it. Like, there's no way I'm coming after this. Like, my eyes are gone. It's so dark. It's like it wraps you and it, it just suffocates you. And there have been people who spiritually have been in a spot like that. They can't see anything. They cannot see any way of getting out of this cave that they're in. But if you're in that dark cave and you look down the ground, you'll see footprints. And those footprints are from Christ because he's been there before you. He's been where you've stood, but he's done it before you. And he got out of it without sitting. You know, maybe other people have been in the dark spot that you've been in before too, but I'll tell you this, it's only Christ that's going to bring you out of it. Nobody else can. I want to read that verse just one more time. Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Our Savior knows what it is to be in the spot that Job was in. And our Savior is someone that we can go to. And yeah, this fights against every ounce of pride you have in your body. But it's what you need. Our Savior is somebody who we can go to and say, you need to help me here. Pick me up. Drag me out if you have to. Because I cannot go another step right now. And he will lift you up. He will carry you. And he will bring you all the way through. What was Job's solution to his darkness? The same solution it is to ours. We need to look to Christ. A lot of things out there promise they can help us in dark times. A lot of books will say they have a solution. A lot of times in dark places, you'll have well-meaning friends and family that will tell you they have a simple solution. Sometimes the simple solution they say is just uh, get over it. You know, sometimes we need to, but there are times when a get over it. It's not going to bring you out of a dark place. 
the only person who can really bring you out is Christ. <clears throat> we need to look to him. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you because this is such a difficult passage. I, I'll be honest, I'm confused by it. A lot of us are probably confused by it. And I can't relate to Job 100%, but I know there are some who see the darkness in this passage, the darkness that Job was going through. They can look at that and say, yeah, I've been there. I know what that's like. But we thank you for an extraordinary, wonderful Savior who's also been there, who stood in that darkness. And this Savior is also our friend. Father, I pray that your son would just wrap his arms around those who are like Job, who are in darkness, and they just can't see the light. They can't see any point in going on. I pray that we would accept that people and different things are not going to bring them out of that. Only your son will. Help us to look to him and not to ourselves. We pray these things in our great high priest who can sympathize as we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, have a good Sunday.